everybody. Welcome to the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. This is Mike Dawson from Modern Drummer Magazine, and I'm my co-host Mike Johnson of Mike'sLessons.com. We'll be jumping in here shortly to take over. Uh, this episode is all about the July 2015 issue, which features Jack White's Dalro Jones on the cover. We also talk about some of our favorite drum books, and I dig a little bit deeper into the Gretsch Renown series kits, as well as some really cool snare drums coming out of Santa Cruz, California by Sugar Percussion. Both of those were reviewed in the July issue as well. So anyway, let's get started, and thanks for listening. Welcome in, everybody, to episode eight. Mr. Mike Dawson, what's new going on over at Modern Drummer? The big news is we just put out a new method book called... Uh, Exercises in African American Funk. Oh, wow. And it's by Jonathan Joseph, who is out with Jeff Beck right now. And he's also played wow. with Josh Stone and uh, back in the day with Joe Zawinul and Richard Bona. And it's co authored by Steve Rucker, who runs the drum set department at University of Miami. Dang. So the title is actually a little bit of a play on words. It's not, it's not African American, as in African American Americans. It's African and American funk. So oh, okay. He's, he's taking okay. Uh, three African Cameroonian rhythms and implying them over like shuffle and halftime shuffle and things like that. Oh, wow! It's really Is it neat. out. It's out now. It's just out. Okay. Um, we actually haven't gotten our, our copies back from the printer, but it is available for order. And where do I do I get it through MD or do Amazon or where do I get it? Because I'm getting it. Yeah, ideally go through our website. That way, okay. uh, you know, it's getting through the right dealers. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's it's it sounds like it's a coordination type book, but it's really more of a musicality, being able to hear quarter note triplets and half note triplets over shuffles and things like that. Wow. And it's really cool. There's a good promo video that we have up of him playing with his band using a lot of these concepts. Okay, it's really pretty pretty awesome. So we're excited about that. Um, that's the big. Well, news. that'll. That'll tie into our impactful book section because <laughs> mm. yeah, that can be our future impactful books. Yeah, conveniently. <laughs> awesome, man. That's that's cool. What's up with you? Um, just had my first TED talk. Oh right. Uh, never been so nervous in my entire life. How scary was uh, that? Come on, dude. It was it was uh, almost paralyzing as far as the fear, just because I do public speaking almost every day, but I always have a drum set as my safety blanket behind me, so. Sometimes I'll be in a country where, as I'm giving delivering the information, I can feel like ah, either there's a language barrier or they're just not feeling me today. And I can always run back to the drum set and just go real fast, you know, right, and right. kind of like get myself out of trouble. And with the TED Talk, I since the talk itself was only on education and it had nothing to do with the drums, I felt that it would be a little weird to have a drum set there and play and that kind of thing. So it was, yeah, uh, they give you that silly little TED mic, that little peach colored cheek mic thing um, which I think is a terrible mic because it picks up all the S's oh, right. and distorts yeah. the speakers of the entire auditorium But um, which was as soon as I walked out and the first S came out of my mouth and I heard the speakers just kind of sh- you know kind of clip there was an entire section of my talk based on a coach from high school that had a really overly pronounced S and he always said boys and let's get a little shake shake boys and I had to cut, I had to change his voice to like a Boston accent in mid-speech because I realized we're going to shut this whole place down with the way this guy actually spoke. So Coach Fisher, if you're listening, I'm sorry that I made you from Boston in my TED Talk, but <laughs> sometimes you got to adapt, man. So, as soon as I heard those speakers cut out, I was like, we're changing Coach Fisher's voice. That's awesome. So who is in the crowd at those things? 
Uh, you know, it it depends. There's TEDx, which is what I did, and then there's the once a year TED conference, which is now held in Canada. Used to be in Long Beach, and it depends. I mean, usually it's other speakers, obviously people that want to be speakers, and then it's it's just brilliant people. Like everyone you talk to does something amazing, and that's I kind of felt a little bit outclassed because everyone I talked to was like, oh yeah, like. You know, I developed um, extra limbs for dogs that ha- that were amputees. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. The next guy was like, yeah, I invented uh, ice cream through the use of liquid nitrogen so I can make ice cream for you in three seconds <laughs> from raw materials. And I'm like, what the hell, dude? Like, and then, the, and then the worst question is they're like, so what do you do? I'm like, nothing. I do nothing. <laughs> what are you talking about? I have no clue, honestly. Um, so, but yeah, it was, it was good, man. And then I was able to, um, there's a... Uh, comedian lives on the West Coast now, but he's an East Coast cat named Bill Burr, and he really kind of helped me out. He's a stand-up comedian, and uh, he's been on Breaking Bad, uh, and he really helped me out with because I asked him. I said, "Dude, your last two Netflix specials were like an hour and a half. How how did you get through that amount of material and stay on track?" And because I'm trying to do 15 minutes and hit these key points, but I don't want to have a bunch of slides going on and graphs and that kind of thing. And so he was really helpful in walking me through his techniques. And what what I really learned was that stand-up comedy has almost identical techniques to drumming. Like he has to practice these very specific techniques to allow him to perform properly, just like we do. He's a drummer and that's how I know him. And uh, so, yeah, it was really cool, man. I had a great time. And as soon as the Ted talk goes up on Ted.com, um, then I will share it with everybody. Cool. And where does that go from there? Is there other options? Yeah. So once it hits a certain amount of views, um, then Ted moves it to their front page of TED.com. And then once that happens, then you're kind of in the pool of consideration to speak at the main TED conference that happens once a year. Um, I think, the I, I to be honest, my feeling is it'll either go over completely lukewarm or it'll go over really well. I, I know that it wasn't a complete disaster, um, but I was so nervous that I really don't have a good perspective on overall how it went. Because um, I think the people that were talking to me afterwards were family and friends that were just being nice, and they were just happy I didn't melt down on camera. <laughs> so they were. I think they were more relieved than like you know. I didn't have anyone critical there that could actually tell me whether I did good or bad. So I think it went good, but I'm I'm really interested to see if my topic matter, which was. Um, it's called the art of delivering information, and it's turning teaching into an art form, and recognizing it as a talent rather than as a fallback plan. I'm I'm really curious to see if the the topic itself has any legs, and if anyone cares at all about my viewpoint on that. And I wouldn't be surprised if no one cares, or if it is kind of like, yeah, that's a good way to think of it. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting topic. Is we're talking about arts, but some people they're teachers because that's what they always want to do. If it's science or other you know other academics which usually arts where we have this mentality of it's a fallback to teach yeah and that's kind of what what we were trying to get through was just the whole idea of like when teachers teach how are they delivering the information and generally from my experience it's been they're delivering it the same way it was delivered to them because they assume it was delivered to them properly in the first place but when i look at my drumming you know when i learned say the single paradiddle i didn't just learn it on a pad and then i was done i mean it was you know, 10 years of exploring right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left in every subdivision possible with every dynamic shift possible with every, you know, can it be a groove, can be a fill. So I just thought, well, why can't I do that with with an explanation? So if you say I need you to explain time signatures to people, 
I need to practice that just like I would practice an art. And I come up with five or six explanations. And if those aren't working for you, then I have to visually show it to you. And if that's not working, I have to have audio examples ready. And if that's not working, I have to use comparisons and then analogies. And I practice the explanations like they're an art form. And I think if more teachers did that, we'd have a better educational system without having to change you know the government so cool man and speech <laughs> can't wait to see it <laughs> we'll definitely share it thanks buddy so other than that what's going on in the news any any cool drum rumblings going on you know it's kind of quiet I, this time of year at the beginning of the summer it's usually a little bit quiet in the industry um, but I, I definitely wanted to make sure that everyone's aware that uh, one of the best drummers in the world is out on tour with one of the most famous bands of all time uh, Toto so Shannon Forrest is currently drumming with them and he's filling in for Keith Carlock who had to spend this year with obligations with Steely Dan so the word is that that Keith Carlock is the drummer in Steely Dan he's on the new album and I guess he's going to take over as soon as this or he sorry Keith Carlock is the drummer in Toto he plays on the new record and he's going to take over with the band once he's done with Steely Dan this year that's that's the word in the interim, Shannon Forrest has been out, and if if you're not familiar with Shannon Forrest, I would definitely look him up. He is he's top dog in Nashville. I mean, he's on every hit record coming out of Nashville. Uh, I think he's on the new Tim McGraw record that's that's on top of the charts. Um, he's toured with with everybody, but he's really he's made his 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 you know made his mark as a studio guy. But he sounds exactly like Jeff Picaro. I mean, Jeff Picaro really? is is his number one guy, and he he plays like him. He sounds like him. He sets his drums up like him. So if there's ever a time to see Toto in in a form that sounds like the original band, now would be it. Right. Wow, man. Yeah, I just was watching Toto for the for actually live for the first time on uh, Palladia, and you know, obviously, I, I know the songs, I know the albums, but I'd never seen them play. And, you know, at first my wife was like, what are you making me listen to? And I was like, you know what? I'm with you because I'm not a huge Toto fan. Obviously, I'm a fan of Jeff's, but I'm not a huge Toto fan of the music. But I was like, dude, these guys are kind of killing it. Like, this is flawless. And they've got to be in their 50s, right? Yeah, easily. I would think, right? Yeah. And I mean, dude, it was flawless. And the singing was perfect. and, And Simon Phillips was on drums for this concert. And... I was really blown away. I was like, you know what? This this makes this makes perfect sense. Why these guys are so revered? Because this band is so tight, and uh, yeah, I was completely blown away. Completely blown away, man. Yeah. Um, I don't know who was playing bass. It was a cat that I've seen play with Phil Collins before. Um, killer backup vocals, um, but I'm not sure who it was. Uh, but it was it was an amazing band for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I think they've you know since Jeff passed, I think they made a, per- a point to hire guys who don't sound like Jeff. Which is why you have right. Simon Phillips and Keith Carlock, I think, is, is a good example of someone who amazing, one of the best in the world, but he doesn't sound like Jeff Picaro. He's right, got a different yeah. feel, different sound. Everything about him is different. But Shannon Forrest is like, he has got it all down. He's got the grin, you know, he's got the, right. the 60 <laughs> notes on the hi-hat, everything. That's I'm, I'm, I'm stoked, though, that Keith has that gig just because of... It's it's such a great in between gig as far as you get to play the massive crowds you get you know I'm sure it's a a great payday and everything but it's still 
you know, technical enough music that it gets to stretch him as a musician um, and gets to show him off as more of a pocket player than just doing the kind of fusion thing that he does with Wayne Krantz and um, with Rudder, you know? Yeah, can you imagine having Steely Dan and Toto on your resume? No, I cannot. It doesn't get much better than that for that for that world. Because I have Simon Says and whoever I played with at the Shady Lady two weeks ago on my resume. So, no, I cannot imagine that at all. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our next section. So, we're going to talk about some impactful books. And I kind of want to go back into our formative years when you just kind of obsessed on a book. Or maybe you didn't. I mean, we're all different for sure. The... I'm trying to think as far as if I had to like lock down one book that I spent the most time with and it became kind of like my social friend. Um, you know, I, I did not have a kind high school lifestyle with uh, the acne and the braces and the borrowed clothes from the neighbor's kids. So I, I became kind of obsessed with a few books. And I think the one for me that I spent the most time with and really changed my life the most would be Future Sounds by David Garibaldi. Mm-hmm. And I remember going through it. I went through it terribly. Uh, I, I just learned it note for note, but I didn't pay attention to any of the dynamics. It was pointed out to me that I needed to pay attention to the dynamics, and I had to start from scratch. And that was the first time that instead of doing exercises out of a book like homework and just checking them off and moving on, I really tried to fellowship with each groove like it was its own subgenre of music. And it, it completely changed everything about how I learned new grooves. And it was a one note at a time type of thing. And then bring in, once I got the pattern down, which would maybe take me 20 or 30 minutes, then I would give it a tiny bit of speed, not much. I'd stay there for another hour and then come back to it the next day. And then the next day I would actually slow it back down and finally start to bring in the dynamics. So for me, step by step, it was learn the pattern, just what are the rights, the lefts and the kicks of this thing. Then eventually get a little bit of speed then the next step would be maybe a little bit of orchestration, kind of move around. And at this point, I'm still completely monotone. And then the last step was the dynamics. And to me, that was like polishing a car. I always say to my students, you can't polish a car that you don't even own. So don't worry about the dynamics and the ghost notes right now. You, don't, you can't even play the groove. So you have to play it first, and then you can polish your car. And then I would spend the next two or three weeks just working on the dynamics, never getting it anywhere near you know, the way David could make it sound. But definitely Future Sounds for me was one of the most impactful books. What about you, buddy? It's hard for me to say one, so I'm going to have to break the, the rule and, and offer three, unfortunately. That's fine. I got more, I got more too. And, and the reason I do that is because I was thinking, like, what, you know, what makes me me as a drummer? And okay. it would go back to my, my fascination with reading and uh, classic drumming, like classical drumming technique style. So I have one book for that and then the second thing that really think made me me was my independence i learned how to kind of play with a lot of independence early on so there's a book for that and then thirdly it would be touch how i learned how to touch the instrument to get the best sound and there's a, another book for that so as far as my foundation of just reading and technique and good chops i had a uh, my first percussion teacher the summer before sixth grade he and i got together every day and played through the haskell Har book book one if you've seen that it's kind of the prototype snare drum method book so i learned all my rudiments i learned how to read because it has you know exercises in the beginning and then the end of each page was like a little excerpt an eight bar combination of all the the exercises so that to me just established reading and fundamentals like from the very beginning i was 10 i guess 11 maybe 
So that's super important, and I often forget about that one. And then as far as my independence in middle school, I didn't have a drum set teacher, so I just taught myself, and I bought the New Breed. Like, nice. not knowing that what I was in for, I just saw that it was a good book, everyone loved it, I bought it, and then spent the next six years hammering through that thing. Wow. Uh, I don't know that I ever got to the advanced systems in the back, just just being able to sight read and, and sing the quarter note aloud and playing all these three of them ostinatos. That kind of set me up physically on the instrument to where I'm like, all right, I can, I think I can handle any music that's going to be thrown at me. Um, aside from maybe progressive rock or double bass stuff that I wasn't really into, but that kind of established my physical, you know, stance at the instrument. I could do what I wanted with each limb. And then as far as touch, I got to study when I finally did get a drum set teacher my senior year of high school. Uh, he was a former student of Joe Morello's, so we went through master studies. And that, not necessarily the, the what's in the book, but the way that that book has to be taught teaches you proper technique with full strokes and full rebound and getting the best sound. So without those three books, I wouldn't be the drummer I am now, for better or for worse. So those are my three. If I had to pick one out of those, it would definitely be the new breed. Nice. Well, isn't it weird how like books like Master Studies, Stick Control, Syncopation, they're legendary books, but if they're not, if they don't come along with a teacher... They're, it's a rough get through, you know. Um, yeah. I remember thinking that syncopation was pointless when I got because I got it hearing that it was a standard. I got stick control and I was like, eh, it's cool, but I want something much cooler. And then once I had Pete Magadini walk me through those books, they were the most genius books of all time. But I needed that's kind of, you know, where you need a teacher, you need a private instructor to say, oh, no, no, no you don't just do that. That's going to be your left hand while you're playing the jazz samba with your other three limbs, right. you know, or you're going to play this groove between your hands, and that's now the bass drum part. I remember it blowing my mind, uh, what is it, page 36 in syncopation, whatever summary one is, and, you know, I'd, I'd done, like, all the independent stuff with it. I'd played it left hand under the jazz um, swing pattern. I'd played it bass drum, and then Pete had me... Um, accenting it as triplets so the written rhythm was the accents inside of triplets and then diddling all the non-accents and it just turned into this buddy rich drum solo you know mm -hmm. and it was like wow man that was always hidden inside these pages i just needed somebody to kind of unlock those doors for me so private instruction for me that's why i laugh when people are like well i think your online lessons are kind of taking away from private instruction i'm like man in every live lesson i mentioned they need to get a private instructor i am a private instructor and i took lessons my whole life like I wouldn't have known what to do with stick control or or master studies or or syncopation unless I had a Pete Magadini or even just some of my local private teachers to walk me through those books. Yeah, and some I mean something like new new breed is one that you can kind of open it up and if you can read music you can figure out how to do it. That's a rare one. Master studies, I mean Morello was kind of famous for not giving away all of his techniques in print. Right. So then you had to come take lessons with them. So that book is one of those where, yeah, get it. I think you, everyone should own it, but you really need someone who knows the Joe Morello method to walk you through it. Right. Because it's not yeah, there. Yeah. He doesn't give it away. It's, it's Now that, absolutely. Well, if you can think of a book, maybe not the one, but think of a book that has the most, I guess... The most page-for-page page content. Because some books, I, I think, and I don't want to call any of them out, but there's a lot of fluff 
because of the three brilliant pages, and then they tried to make a book out of those three brilliant pages, but they end up just being kind of mathematical possibilities or variations on the same thing. And when I think of a book that has a ton of every page is useful content, I think of Kim Plainfield's Advanced Concepts. It's, it's definitely for an advanced drummer for sure, but what I like about it was instead of writing a book on just a topic, he just wrote two pages on a ton of stuff that he does. And I thought it was so cool because every two or three pages, you're on a whole new topic, but an advanced concept of that topic. So if you want chops, there's like two or three pages of really cool chops in there. And then he takes you into like, oh, well, this is what I do with the Mozambique. This is what I do with the Songo. This is what I do with rolled triplets. And it's like two or three pages on 20 different topics and I, I thought it, I thought it was just a really cool way to approach a book and I still teach out of that book mm. yeah I guess all the books that I studied were more specific like I love sure uh, you know the Brazilian drum set book that drummers collective mm. put out and the Afro-Cuban drum set book that drummers collective put out that was a great series of books yeah that and there's a good Af- West African book that Roy Hardigan wrote that's really great is that West African rhythms for the drum set I believe so yeah yeah, I teach uh, a lot of stuff out of that, and that's that's a really cool thing because those are all patterns and grooves that have no relationship to the drum set whatsoever. Right. And so he really walks you through step by step. Okay, that exact talking drum pattern, we're going to put that over here on the floor tom, and you're going to split it up between the rat. It, and that's a brilliant book, and it comes with a great audio example CD as well. Yeah, and then like John Riley's uh, Art of Bob Drumming and Beyond Bob Drumming, yes. they're kind of like. I wouldn't tell someone who has never studied jazz to get those books because he kind of it's piecemeal a little bit. I right. think you need to have a teacher who walks you through syncopation and advanced techniques for the modern drummer by Jim Chapin. Yep. To get all the fu- the fundamentals of, of jazz in, uh, independence, not even about the music, just how to play that style, getting your limbs to move yeah. that way before you can jump into his stuff because his stuff is more conceptual and getting the more of the you know playing the music. So if you can't play the patterns, you're never going to be able to play the music. I had to jump in. Uh, I had already been through um, the art of bop drumming. And then when uh, when Beyond Bop came out, I remember, I can't remember what page it is, but there's a four-measure passage of just kind of Roy Haynes comping. Yeah. And those four bars literally took me over a year. Right. Unreal, right. man. I was like, I'm seriously the worst drummer <laughs> that's ever lived. And uh, because it was also at kind of a bop tempo, it wasn't like ba do ga do, you know. It was like ga do ga da da do da ga da do But it was, it was just awesome, you know. So yeah, that is definitely one of those books where, as an instructor, you need to know it so that when your students reach a certain point, you can go to that one page and say, okay, here's the next three months of our you know journey together. It's this one page, and don't be bummed that it's going to take that long. Yeah, so. right. Okay, so let's uh, let's jump into the July issue here. We've got uh, the really great drummer Daru Jones, who's probably maybe maybe fans of Jack White would, would absolutely would know who he is. He's been on tour with Jack White for the past year or so. He's on his past his solo records, which broke all kinds of records for you know, the the highest grossing vinyl in the past twenty years or something like that. Um, so we got him on the cover. The timing was interesting because it was right as Jack was calling it quits for the live band he's he's no, supposedly no longer going to tour with a band he's going to do solo shows with seated theaters and that types of things so it was kind of a wrap-up discussion of that experience but he's also moved to nashville so he's he's definitely going to be popping up on a lot of records coming out of that town um and his background is he's from detroit 
and he came up in the church and played with, you know, also played with a lot of hip hop. So he brought that whole vibe over to the Jack's band, which was completely different from what Jack previously had with Patrick Keeler and Meg White. So it was a whole new, whole new vibe. And his setup is pretty wild. Have you checked out his setup? Dude. I thought Keith Carlock's setup was weird. <laughs> yeah. This cat is going straight angled down. Man, it's yeah, um, you know, the setup, the sizes themselves are weird. Yeah. Um, not weird, they're just unique. Um, but the angles are are the thing that got me. I was like, how the heck does he play that? Um, and you know, I mean, generally when I've seen him play, he's playing traditional technique, but he plays both throughout the show with Jack, but yeah, I have no idea how he plays that thing, man. It's a lot of standing, so I assume the leaning forward you know, coming at the audience is yeah. his, his vibe, and he says in the story that he was just you know he's trying to find something unique that makes him him, but he still can play it. It's not like freaky. He can't actually. No, play he it. plays great. You know, one thing that's weird is when I first started researching him, I only was you know knowing him as a rock drummer playing with Jack White, and it wasn't until I found a couple random YouTube clips I got to see him play kind of more of the hip hop Jay Dilla type thing. And it was so authentic and really. And then when I got to read the article and he mentioned, you know, um, albums like uh, D'Angelo's Voodoo being an influence and stuff, it made a lot of sense because he he has that Philly style thing just down. Um, and it's so authentic because he's not it doesn't seem mathematical at all. Yeah. It seems like he's just got his eyes closed and he's that's part of who he is as a player so then it made all the stuff with Jack White that much more impressive to me because to me I didn't know him as somebody that had those roots I only knew him as I thought he was like a very authentic rock drummer that was really good at the experimental thing I had no idea that um because when you watch him play rock even if he's playing traditional he still he plays very blocky um you know when he needs to he can play Dave Grohl as authentic as anyone um, but then to see him go into just like a legit hip hop beat was really, you know, re- it really blew me away yeah. for sure. He played with Slum Village, which was Dilla's project. So he, I mean, he had learned that stuff straight from the source. And I had an interesting uh, firsthand experience with him. I was, I played South by Southwest a couple of years ago. And if you've never been, but all day long, there's just these things called day parties at every bar, every club where like, a company will sponsor a day and they'll bring in bands who are going to be playing later that night but it's in a smaller venue so I was at the Sennheiser day party and uh, Talib Kweli was playing at this time uh, Daru had played with, with Talib in the past but he wasn't at this time he was a young guy but then Daru walked in and he just hopped on the drums for a song and I gotta tell you the difference from hearing I mean no disrespect to Talib's touring drummer but the, the difference of hearing that guy and then when Daru got on the kit it was like the drums were just turned up to eleven. It was it was so such a the power precision, fun. I mean the audience could feel it. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like he said, hey here's a superstar drummer walking in. It was just oh here's my friend he's gonna play drums on a song and everyone in the room was like what just changed? The music is right. just so much heavier. Something's different. Yeah man. And it was powerful. Watching him play, you know, you get the sense. I think it's even mentioned in the beginning of the article, too, that it's just kind of an eyes-closed feel thing that he just believes in it so much. So it's really cool. I think the one thing that I hope that the listeners get out of us talking about Daru and and then hopefully reading the article in the July issue is just, you know, there's so many players out there that you you just try to be open-minded and discover everything, you know? and Because you just wouldn't think when Jack White is so famous as Jack White, and because I think even though Meg White was awesome on the drums for that project, 
it wasn't ever thought of as like a really amazing drum thing. But, you know, it's like, man, no matter who's playing, you always want to think if this is one of the, considered one of the greatest artists in the world right now, who did they choose as their drummer? Yeah. You know, that's I'm always thinking like I wonder why Sting chose Manu for this album instead of Vinny, you know, and and these these guys are brilliant and they know what they want on the drums and it they don't just get kind of handed a drummer and they're stuck with them. They chose them. And so there's a reason and once you start exploring that reason, you just you have a whole new level of respect for these cats. All right. So our favorite part, it's gear review time. <laughs> so we're talking. You you um, you reviewed quite a few things in the July issue, but two things that we're going to talk about: uh, the Greenwich, the Greenwich, <laughs> new company, which is also Greenwich. yeah, great. They're great. They're great. They're almost as good as Greenwich. <laughs> which, by the way, did happen to me in a clinic at some point, and uh, I was setting up for a clinic, and these two kind of maybe late teen, you know, nineteen, twenty year old guys were in there. And I'm setting up my drums, and they're just in the music store. And one guy's like, "Oh man, they have the, they have that DW I've always been wanting." And his buddy's like, "Yeah, but you gotta love those Greta stitches." <laughs> and no one laughed, and they just were like, "Yeah, right on, man." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that is a good butchering. I've never heard that one, Greta stitch." What language is so, that? <laughs> dude, it's Sabine Greta stitch. <laughs> Pasty, they're all good, man. Uh, I think actually, like three or four years ago uh, on YouTube, I did like a Christmas present to the YouTube community, and I just taught everyone how to pronounce the names. Mm-hmm. I was like, just to save you. And if you're ever wondering, all you have to do is call the company, and however they answer the phone, that's how they say their name. <laughs> so when you call and they say Minel USA, how can I help you? You just say thank you, and you know that it's not Minel or Manel, it's Minel. Yeah. And I, I, I was that with Peisty. I didn't know what it was. It was like, pasty, paste, Peist. And then I called them, and they said, Peisty USA, how can we help you? It's all I need. Click. Zitigen symbols. Zitigen. <laughs> Man, I loved my Zitigen shimitas. Those were the good ones. All right, so you re, uh, you reviewed the Gretsch Renown Birch and Walnut, two different kits. And then uh, we're going to also talk about the Sugar Percussion Stave Shell Snare, so we'll get to that in a sec. But first... So the Gretsch Renown Birch and Walnut, yeah, uh, same sizes, same size kits. Yeah, I had them give me identical kits for the purpose of, of removing any variables other than the shells. So okay. it was you know ten inch, twelve inch rack toms. I think it was sixteen inch floor tom, eighteen by twenty two bass drum. All the same hardware, diecast hoops. Everything was exactly the same. Same heads. So the only difference was the shells. And I okay. and my whole point was I wanted to see all right. Well, what does Birch really do when compared to Walnut and vice versa? Got it. How do they perform? Knowing you know, knowing that everything else is going to be the same, and essentially the conclusion was that there's a huge difference. Um, really? Yeah. The, especially between these two. If it would have been birch and maple, or walnut and mahogany, maybe there wouldn't have been that much of a difference. But the birch drums really like to be tuned high, and they had a lot of snap and presence, a lot of cutting power. And the walnut really wanted to be tuned super low and had a darker tone so so when you're tuning like a walnut say a 16 inch floor tom and you tune it low are you saying it doesn't bottom out and growl at a low pitch as much as maybe a birch one would or no they know they had the same basic tuning range okay but it was just the timbre it was just the color of the sound the the walnut just was beefier fatter punchier Uh, at the same pitch as like so I tuned them to the exact same pitches high, medium, and low 
and then compared what is a high birch tom sound compared to a high walnut. Got it. So it was just a just a totally different timbre. The walnut just came to life at lower tunings, and the birch kind of wanted to be high. Anything lower just kind of became like a drum sound. But high, it was like, all right, that's that drum can cut. That has some power. It doesn't sound choked. Right. So it was pretty neat. It was a good experience. So I mean, and quality of the kits. I mean, classic. Yeah, Gretsch, everything was great. I mean, kind of renowned. I think it's kind of my complaint with most kind of production line kits is that they always give you cheap bottom heads. Yeah. You know, and I think it it does it's it does a disservice to the drums because you can you can hear it as soon as you start lowering that pitch, the bottom head just starts to sound papery. It's never made sense to me why you can see a three thousand dollar drum set with five dollar heads on the bottom and if you guys don't know the reason why it's called a resonant head is because it freaking resonates right so if you want to have great tone really all you have to do is just go to any of your toms right now that sound good and completely detune one lug on your bottom head and the entire drum will be ruined i mean not even salvageable and it'll teach you how important that bottom head is it resonates so you know if you have cheap resonant heads the stock ones that came with your kit, you should change them, and you'll get a really great tone out of your expensive drum. Yeah, extend the range. I mean, it's, it's that's it's. I just don't get it. So that was my my only complaint. Other than that, these things are fantastic. And between and these these are overseas drums, right? Yeah, these are the ones coming in from I believe Taiwan. And okay, you know, but they you know they had everything that you would want as as a good professional, fully functioning. Take it on the road. Take it in the studio. Play yeah. whatever style you want. Type of drum set. Not being afraid to beat it up. Yeah, no. The the renown is definitely even you know, as a, as a Gretsch artist. Like if you want a good rock kit, if you want something that cuts and has a lot of clarity, um, a more kind of in your face drum set, then the renown is the way to go. Once you get into Brooklyn Broadcaster and USA Custom, you're getting that that great Gretsch warm sound, um, which I wouldn't take my broadcaster to, you know, like a metal gig. That's not what it's meant for. But the the RN1, the Gretsch Renown, um, it, it has that kind of in-your-face cutting ability. So it's cool that they're expanding, not just, you know, bringing in new colors or new sizes, but they're bringing in new materials as well. So it's really cool. Yeah, between those three, the Birch, the walnut and the maple i think you could get whatever you want i mean i would probably say get a maple first don't you know because the birch is just birch and walnut are two extremes but get a maple and then when you want to expand it maybe you really like deep low sounding drums we'll get the walnut maybe you need something that just will cut through the noise then get the birch awesome let's take a listen to those kits now okay so what you're going to hear first is the renowned birch kit a tight tuning, medium tuning, and a low tuning, playing the same basic phrase, and then I'll repeat the entire thing on the renowned walnut kit. If you want to see these kits in action, check out some videos that I made for Modern Drummer at moderndrummer.com.
Now here's the walnut. Yeah, so the second review I got to do was with a uh, somewhat new company out of the West Coast, uh, Santa Cruz area, Sugar Percussion. Um, they're making stave shell drums that, I mean, they are as about as elegant and high-end and wonderful as you could get. Um, when I first saw them, it kind of reminded me of like a super sleek luxury car. Like there's no sharp edges, there's no detail untouched. Um, just looking at the bearing edge alone, it's 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 seamless from the shell wall to the edge. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that like modern furniture design is is made to be super cool. So they sent three drums: one made out of Alaskan cedar, one made out of black cherry, and one made out of ebony. And they sent three so we could hear the you know the, how the different densities of the wood affects the sound because they were constructed nearly identically. Aside from that, so the cedar is a soft wood. So it has a much, you know, a, 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 they call it a doughy sound, which I think is a pretty appropriate description, <laughs> which I never heard before. And then the black cherry is their like medium density, which all purpose sound. And then the ebony is super hard, super bright and cutting. Um, but I found that all three of them could do pretty much anything you want. They're really pretty fantastic drums. The cedar was, was the most, like, to my taste, I, I love that sound of, of warmer, vintagey sounding drums so that was kind of my taste but the the black cherry could do anything and really the ebony could do anything you want um, and the ebony just looks super cool i was gonna say that ebony is gorgeous that could be a even though it's a stave so it won't work but that could be a great veneer man that is gorgeous yeah it's amazing they're they're, they're doing i i wish them the best of luck because they're making really fantastic decisions and the design is i mean even if you look at the the way the badge is put on i was gonna say it doesn't look like a badge it looks like an inlay it is yeah, they put the badge in like a rounded out cutout. It's it's wow. really cool. So they're dude the inside of the shell like you're right. It looks like furniture. I've never seen the inside of a drum shell look like that. Yeah, and look at the vent hole is rounded. Yeah, oh that yeah, it's out of control. I mean the craftsmanship is insane. And so it looks like they have their own proprietary lugs. Yeah, they're using trick throw offs, and... but their lugs are their own. Um, Wow, and they man. make full kits too, so it's not just they're not just on snare drums. Really? Do you know were they at Nam this last year? They have not boosted. They were walking around, but no, they have not boosted. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance to see them and um, 
And you got to play all three, so you have recordings of them? I did, and I did the same thing as I do with everything else. I tuned them as high as they would go and backed them down one lug at a time and, and recorded it all the whole way down. And So we got you know audio samples for that to check out. These are top-level custom craftsmanship snares. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically a, a one-man operation. He might have some help, but yeah, you're getting a guy... A, this is someone's passion. I mean, he's put in... And he made your snare for you. Exactly. And, and they'll actually it. design it for whatever sound you're looking for. It's fully customizable. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's really cool, man. You that's just call really them cool. up and tell them what you're looking for, and they'll make it. Well, I hope they have a booth at NAMM this coming year, because I would love to check out their snares as well as their kits, for sure. So, yeah. Well, let's take a listen to the Sugar Percussion Stave Shell Snares. In this short demo, you're going to hear all three drums back-to-back playing the same basic part tuned exactly the same way so it's going to start with the cedar drum and then it'll go into the cherry drum and then lastly the ebony drum and if you want to hear these drums in their complete tuning range there's video demos again at moderndrummer.com Now it is time for our pick of the week. This is a chance for Mike and I just to alert you to something that we think is cool. Could be a product, could be a website, could be an album or a video. Mike, what is your pick of the week? I have a twofer, um, and there's a good reason for it. I've been obsessed with uh, Elvin Jones for like the past month again. Like he's, he's. I've been obsessed with you sticking to the rules. Why can't you just have one? <laughs> hey man, go I'm a ahead. rebel. <laughs> go ahead. So I've been. I mean, I've, he's. If you gave me a. Uh, you know, said, "What's your top ten drummers of all time?" Elvin Jones is my number one, above everybody. Okay. Else. just just because of his uniqueness and his impact on drumming. So I've been kind of revisiting it and trying to figure out, you know, what you know, can I find the definitive recording for me that kind of unlocks Elvin Jones's whole style, his whole approach to drums. So there's a lot of stuff early in his career before he got with Coltrane that you can see the inklings of where he went with that real kind of triplety always rolling down the hill kind of vibe but the one for me that's like this is a fully realized elvin jones but it's not like where he went later in his career where it's like incomprehensible exactly what he's doing because i think elvin's a little bit dangerous like you can you can mimic him pretty easily but you can also sound like a like a phony by doing that unless you really know how he got there so for me the recording is coltrane plays the blues because there's a lot of slow blues so you can hear him doing his triplety thing but it's it's understandable and it's all over blues forms so it's not like the later Coltrane stuff that was modal 
to where it's really hard to keep track of where the, where they are in the in the bar and the phrase. This is all blues, so if you can sing a 12-bar blues, you can follow along with them on the whole record. Slow tempos, medium tempos, fast tempos. So that's my pick. It's called Coltrane Plays the Blues. And to go with that for gear, I found this company at the Chicago Drum Show called Goodman Drums. They make uh, stave shell drums. They make butcher blocks, and they also make wood bass drum beaters. But they're, oh, wow. they're smaller than you know, the traditional big wood beater that, that's readily available. So they're wood beaters, but they're smaller, so they don't feel so heavy. And Elvin always used the wood beater. So I picked one of those up at the show, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to use this, and I'm going to continue to explore this Elvin thing. And it's a great nice, beater. Man. It's pretty It's pretty fantastic. So check them out. Goodwin, they make them out of mahogany. And uh, I think they're only 20 bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah, Totally affordable. That's awesome. What's your man. pick? My pick is actually a website uh, called Nice, and it's spelled with two I's, N-I-I-C-E dot com. Or, and what it is, it's a search engine for design inspiration. And so you just go to it, and it has a search uh, tab at the top, and you type in anything. Type in snare drum, type in font, type in Mike Dawson, anything you can think of. Just type it in, and what it'll do is it'll pull up like a hundred graphic designs based off of whatever you typed in. It'll, it'll pull up the most beautiful inspirational images of whatever you type in and so and it'll find fonts that relate to it it'll find color schemes that relate to it so n-i-i-c-e dot com um, and it's just an inspiration it's a it's a search engine for inspiration and anytime I'm getting ready to make a new email or I'm getting ready to make a new maybe you know graphic design promo for a clinic I always go to nice I type in something and it just pulls up the coolest stuff uh, I I can type in elephant because my wife loves elephants, and all of a sudden there's all these amazing graphic designs of elephants and fonts that uh, would work for anything. It's it's incredible, man. So definitely check it out. What is that website again? Uh, it actually it might be n i i c e dot c o. Let me make sure. Not com. Yeah, dot c o. All right, I got some bogus. Site. You find it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so nice dot co company. Um, N-I-I-C-E dot C-O and then yeah just type in anything and see what it pulls up for you it's really cool man um, and then you can like on any design site you can just kind of create your own boards and, and inspirational things that you can revisit later you, so you can sign up for free just to be able to keep track of the things that inspired you the most visually awesome so uh, Mike Dawson's next hour is completely unproductive. As he, <laughs> you guys can't see him on Skype, but I can see him staring at his screen pretty hard. So yep. <laughs> I'll be buying a wooden bass drum beater, and he'll be uh, <laughs> telling the people at Modern Drummer, you know, you don't understand. If we use this font set, it'll be crazy. <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, that's all we've got. If you like the podcast, please do us a favor and head over to iTunes and give us a nice little five-star rating we would definitely appreciate it. and please give us reviews too and the reviews can obviously be critical like you know if you want to hear more of something or less of something let us know uh, this is a podcast that we're making for you and we don't mind adjusting it for you as well so mr dawson i will talk to you in a week See ya. peace